Storytelling is a defining feature of being human that sets us apart from other animals. We use stories to understand ourselves and imagine what sort of future we might inhabit, among other things. We often use movies to tell those stories. When we watch movies, we want to feel totally immersed. The characters are no longer characters, but real people inhabiting a world that is just as real as our own. We get absorbed into the story, but sometimes that experience gets broken. There's so many stories that are told that we only partially believe in or that we only partially can imagine because there's something that almost gives us this false effect when we look at it. You see this with digital humans a lot. There's something slightly wrong with them. We immediately totally don't believe it at all and it actually can fracture the story apart entirely because as soon as we don't believe one thing, we start to look for other holes in the story. That's Phil Galler of Lux Machina. Lux Machina uses LEDs to create immersive sets and special effects. Their goal is to keep people in the story rather than pulling them out of it. Lux Machina has worked on some massive productions, too many to name here. I'd encourage you to check out their website to see them all. It's no exaggeration to say their innovations have led to some pretty special experiences for viewers and actors alike. One of the coolest moments of my career was a very high-level executive and a couple of actors, everyone knows, getting to sit in the cockpit for the first time and doing their rehearsal and them going, okay, like, let's go to hyperspace. And just to hear their audible gasps as like this happened in front of them. I'm Kristen Meinzer, and this is Innovation Uncovered from Invesco QQQ. In this episode, I'm sitting down with Phil Galler, co-president of Lux Machina, a company that's using cutting-edge visual tech to build believable realities for everything from movies to virtual concerts to esports. Phil, welcome to the show. I was half expecting you to have a giant special effects screen behind you and be like, oh yeah, he's on some intergalactic <laughs> no. plane right now. But we're happy to have you just as you are. <laughs> yeah, welcome. thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be here. It's super exciting. Now, innovation can mean a lot of things. As we know on our show, because we've talked with lots of people in a number of different fields, in your case, what does innovation mean? What are you doing? Yeah, we're trying to find avenues for people to tell new stories in the way that they want to tell them. So um, helping to redefine the human experience, helping to create virtual experiences and tie them to physical experiences in a way that really is cohesive for the storyteller and for the viewer and using technology really to empower creativity. So let's say someone's telling a story on a far distant planet and they're trying to find a new way to tie certain experiences in that story. For example, I'll use one that came up recently. There was a project where there was a show that had multiple suns. Suns, suns in the sky, you mean. Suns in the sky, exactly. Got There's it. three suns in the sky, right? And so it's, it's about talking to storytellers who have ideas like that and about how they can use technology, whether it be rendering technology, AI, display technologies like LED walls or light field displays, holograms, interactive experiences like responsive content to find a way to connect more holistically with their audiences so that their audiences look at the images that they create or go to the experiences that they create and believe in them. It's all really about getting people to truly believe in the thing that they're seeing or that they're experiencing. People really need to believe in something something 
to get the full experience from it, right? And there's so many stories that are told that we only partially believe in or that we only partially can imagine because there's something that almost gives us this false effect when we look at it. You see this with digital humans a lot. There's this thing called the uncanny valley, right? Mm. And the the uncanny valley is this thing humans innately have. I mean, they look at other humans that are maybe digitally created and there's something slightly wrong with them. We immediately totally don't believe it at all. And it actually can fracture the story apart entirely because as soon as we don't believe one thing, we start to look for other holes in the story and the creative and the vision. And we believe that this uncanny valley doesn't just apply to humans, but it applies to the lighting in a scene. It applies to the the visual effects that are created around a story. It applies to even the technology that's used. For those who are not in the film industry, a lot of this sounds very technical. <laughs> so <laughs> is, is this different from, let's say, for example, green screen technology? What What exactly are we talking about here? Yeah. One of the cores of our business right now is replacing green screen effectively with what is basically an array of televisions. And that's sort of the simplest way to think of it is if you take your television at home, we put together hundreds of those or thousands of those in a large array so that when you're walking into a stage, you're actually surrounded by TVs. Now, what exactly is an LED for people who don't know what an LED is? Like maybe they hear the term all the time, but they don't necessarily know what it means. Absolutely. So LED stands for light emitting diode. Really what it is, is if you imagine like something the size of a a pin, like the head of a pin, basically, that it directly emits light. Um, And the key difference between an LED and projection technology is that projection is something that we are emitting from a box and shooting onto a screen to see the image. So it's more of a reflective light source where an LED is a direct light source. So it actually emits light to create the image. And so when we talk about LED, yeah, it's utilizing them in some type of array to create a, a cohesive and believable image. We talked about, you know, a sci-fi environment in a film, but let's say my story doesn't involve going to space. Let's say it just takes place right here in Brooklyn where I live. Why would your technology be beneficial to my project here when I'm not in space? Yeah, uh, it's actually a couple of really mundane reasons. So First, it seems really silly, but it can be hard to permit the streets of New York. Um, oh my gosh, that is not yeah. silly at all. <laughs> yeah. I have friends in the industry and they say that is like a 24-7 job just yeah. to stay on top of that stuff. Yes. Exactly. And, and one of the goals for us is to build a, a backlot, right? A digital backlot of all these environments that people like to go to, right? So we can identify a couple of hero locations that are important for people. Central Park, right? That's uh, relatively easy to go 3D model, photogrammetry, um, run LiDAR on and turn into an asset that we can use in the virtual world, then we can reuse it over and over again. So it's about finding locations that people need to revisit that are hard to permit, but also that require very specific times of day. Let's say I got 24, 7, 365 days access to the streets of Brooklyn. I would still struggle with the weather changes, the lighting changes. One of the things that our technology allows us to do is set that time of day and control it very specifically. Using these massive LED screens and sophisticated programming, Lux Machina can build environments that don't already exist, or they can replicate places that do exist with complete control over the weather, the time of day, the crowd, everything. Those capabilities came in handy during the pandemic when bringing people to new places became more challenging. And that led to a lot of growth for Lux Machina. I'm curious about how all of your staff work around this, because you have to have a special kind of person to be working on something that is simultaneously very, very, very technical and also very creative. 
Are all of your team members cross-trained on everything? How does everything work? There were only five of us three years ago, and mm-hmm. now there are 60-ish of us. And oh, wow. we hired 50 of them in the last year. And so we went from 12 people in 2020 to, yeah, 60-something right now. We've grown about 600% in the last year, and a lot of that has to do with COVID. Oh, so yeah. it's, it's sort of this meteoric growth. And when you do that meteoric growth, we've learned is a lot of challenges along the way. Mm-hmm. When we, we were five or six people, and even when we were up to 10 people, everyone was cross-trained. Part of it is that all the people who were originally in that core of that business, the five of us, we started from the ground up, right? So like we had always been exposed to all these things. We weren't coming in and having to learn them. We were part of that development in the industry, right? So like as people were talking about real-time, we were already there because we were helping develop what that actually meant for the industry. And then what we realized is that as we were hiring outside of that group, we were getting people who were, we were now having to teach them what we knew. But then we got to a point about 12, 14 people where we would hire people and we didn't have enough time anymore to like sit for two weeks or three weeks at a time, and like talk to them about the different ways things work. So we sort of broke it into different sessions. So different people sort of learn different things. Everyone gets a baseline of technology understanding. I still personally sit and I do about four hours with every employee who comes in on the basics of how video engineering and color work. And what we tell them when they come in is that we want them to pursue the thing that they love. Sometimes what we do is we bring people in, we train them in a specific thing, and then we let them sort of look across the scope of what we do. And six months in, they kind of go, okay, I'm really interested in that. And then we cross train them into that thing. Now, you already talked a little bit about this, but I'd love to go into it a little deeper. Why did you create this company? What was going through your mind? Like, oh, I'm going to just create a company where we have 500 television sets and we're going to film in front of them. <laughs> what what led to that? There were three of us originally, Milton, Zach, and myself. And Milton and Zach had actually started the company prior to me entering it as a small offshoot of something they were doing. Zach and I were working together. I think all three of us actually were working together at a company in Los Angeles that does production work. And just by the nature of being a production company, a cinematographer, Claudio Miranda, had come in and said, I want to try to use projection to create this really big immersive environment. And a bunch of back and forth and a bunch of politicking, um, both Zach and I ended up on set surrounded by this beautiful vistas of clouds. And the set is a lot of chrome and glass and water and things that are really hard to deal with in what I'll call post-visual effects. If you're surrounding them in green, what you know, one of these challenges we have is is just dealing with a lot of green spill and and reflection of green and how to oh, make things yeah. believable. And so the idea was, well, is there a way to like could we put up a what we call a translite, which is a painted backdrop, or could we actually project the clouds onto a screen and actually have moving clouds and really get that light and get that imagery into the environment? And through a series of camera tests and then proving out the idea, the answer was yeah, we could. So you had this idea for a new kind of approach. How did you actually get started? Zach and I were looking at it going, well, this workflow may seem different, but fundamentally it's the same as someone going to a nightclub and playing cloud environments around people dancing in a bar, right? And that's been done for five years, six years in downtown New York. Like the technology, these things exist. And like people have been doing projection work on film for 60 years, all the way back in the day of Kubrick, right? Like things have happened for years. And so it's the blending of those technologies. Like I think we worked... It was like about 108 hours average a week for the first like probably eight, eight weeks, something like that, five weeks, something like that. And it was brutal. But also like there's a better way and there's an easier way to do this. And like at the time, I don't think we quite knew how far it was going to go. We kind of thought, okay, like probably someone will want to do this once every couple of years. And that was the cadence. And it's where the inception of the, the idea came in that like almost as an outsider to the production industry, we could do this better because we could 
we could cherry pick uh, from individual vendors. Okay, these are the tools you need. This is the software you need. This is the workflow you need. And we weren't bound by what any one vendor wanted to do. We could actually tell people like, this is the right thing to do. A lot of it's about risk mitigation. And we committed very early on to building really robust and resilient things that we were confident we could stand in front of. And it was by doing that that we realized that people would keep coming to us. And so people kept coming to us. And what is that process like when they come to you? <laughs> they say, hey, here are some storyboards. This is what I'm imagining. And then you do the rest. How, how does yeah, that work? I, it's across the board. It's really, it's really super fascinating to me, actually. It's still like, you know, people ask me this all the time. Like, how do, how do you get engaged with? And it's across the board. I have people who come to me with a couple storyboards. I have people who come to us with a script they've written. I have people who come to us in the middle of production going, man, we messed up and we need a solution. What we like people to do is come to us when they're in the inception of their idea. Not so that we can go, oh, use technology for this, but so that they don't get down a road thinking that they can use technology for something that it won't work for. And I find myself about once every few months having to tell someone, hey, like, I'm really sorry, but like this thing that you wanted to do, you spent all this time on just like doesn't work because physics doesn't work the way you want mm -hmm. it to work. It's really just helping people through the process, whether they're at script phase, which is where we like them to be, or they're in the middle of production and they maybe are having a situation that isn't working out the way they want. Mm. Well, I want to just put listeners in this zone. They're walking in to one of your sets for the first time. You know, filming is about to start. You said it's like a lot of TVs, being surrounded by a lot of TVs. Can you give me an idea of what the scale is? Is it like 50 by 100 feet or, or how big are we talking about here? Yeah. Imagine walking into a, a pretty large movie theater and it, instead of the walls of the movie theater being walls, it's all television. So yeah, I think usually they're 20 to 30 feet tall. A couple of the ones we're building right now are 80 or 90 feet long by 80 feet across. So wow. very large spaces. And what is it like for actors the first time they step foot into this world? Have, have you ever been on set where you get to see what their reactions are? It's all well and good to go to production meetings for weeks and talk about these things, right? But there's something magical that happens to someone when they walk into a space for the first time. But there's this like, you're sitting in a black void and someone pushes a button and for as far as the eye can see around you, a forest appears, a, a mountain range appears, the ocean appears. Some of the most crystallizing moments, one of them for me was actually was on um, Solo, a Star Wars story. We were sending people into hyperspace and you got to put your hands on the throttle of the Millennium Falcon and drive them into hyperspace. One of the coolest <laughs> moments of my career was a very high level executive and a couple of actors, everyone knows, getting to sit in the cockpit for the first time and doing their rehearsal and them going, okay, like, let's go to hyperspace. And, and, um, just to hear their audible gasps as like this happened in front of them. And like they had, were for the first time ensconced in something that was better than a theme ride and was so believable in a thing that was so tangible that they could touch that they didn't feel constrained in. They pushed that throttle up and like, the stars started to stretch past them and like they went into hyperspace. And it was this moment that like, for me as a business owner, man, we really had an impact on the industry, but also as an individual, as a human, man, we've been able to do something so cool. Like this is a moment these people will never forget, right? This is a moment in time that these people, when they look back in their careers, hopefully will always remember. A lot of your work is research and development. You started off being the person they would call to help make more believable environments for movies, but how did you end up moving into research and development? It's really interesting. In the last um, two years, it's heavily influenced by the metaverse, actually. One of the things that we um, saw was that, again, throwing back to the uncanny valley, as we're looking to create, and when I say we, I mean the industry, what I'm going to call the virtual industry, whether it be the healthcare professionals or news anchors who are becoming digital humans, um, there's a lot of things about them that can set off the uncanny valley. One is, do they look real? 
But one of the other things is, are they lit real, right? And do the, does the lighting on them look mm. believable? Like, do I believe that you're sitting in a room right now? Do I believe that you're sitting in your office right now? Do I believe that you're sitting on the beach, right? And like the lighting is so important for all those things. And what we realized very early on is that what we had been doing is really solving a lighting problem, right? The reason people wanted to build these immersive environments was that they were getting what looked like natural lighting and reflections on people. And so it was sort of this natural thing for us to go, well, wait a second, we already have all these tools and scientific data points about how to use display technologies to create realistic lighting and reflections on humans, because that's what we're trying to sell in the film world, right? We started to use that and look at other avenues and R&D was a, was a natural one for us. While the LED technology that Lux Machina employs is well-suited to creating seamless backdrops for movies, it lends itself to plenty of uses beyond movie production, too. They've worked on creating hyper-realistic backgrounds for awards shows and other broadcast events. They're even working on creating augmented reality experiences for video games and esports. I can't help but wonder, why don't you open a VR theme park or have a side business just doing like augmented reality? Is is this something you've ever thought about at Lux Machina? Yeah, it's actually something we're working on. So oh. yeah, we're, we're really, really interested in building out and interconnecting sports teams, live concerts, right? And actually bringing those into the virtual and giving people that experience in a virtual way. One of the things that we're starting next year is this idea that people can come to us, not just as the solution provider, but as their event and experience producer. Like come to us if you want us to help you creatively and technically produce a VR concert. Come to us if you want us to produce your sports event, but in a video game environment that many people can be part of and view, right? And that's part of where the brand is going, especially with our new parent company. Like it's to experience these new things like live events and bring them into virtual and concerts and bring them into the virtual world. Now, you clearly are capable of doing a lot of different things from taking people to space to (laughs) creating immersive environments in a video game setting. What are some of the most out there, the most wild (laughs) requests that you've gotten from any of these industries, from film, from video games, from conferences, from anything else. What are some of the most wild ones? Oh man, I've got some stories. Um, Oh, I I need to hear them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We had a client about four or five years ago who wanted to surround a small set, but they are a a large corporate entity and they had a mascot and the mascot at the time was a goat. So we had to use the goat inside the environment. And what I, I learned a tremendous amount about goats. And what I learned about trained goats at the time is that trained goats can't travel far. So even though we had built this LED stage for them in San Francisco, the goat lived in Santa Clarita, California. And goats, apparently, when they're trained, trained can only travel 40 or 50 miles before they forget their training. For some reason, they're like, there's like some kind of association with their home. So they had to bring the goat to a small stage where we did some LED tests in Burbank. And I just remember the phone call where they were like, well, we have this goat and we want to talk to you about the logistics of the goat. I'm like, what could possibly be going on with this goat? And that was one that stands out. It was like a phone call you get out and like didn't expect to be having to worry about how far can a goat travel? Where do we bring the LED so that the goat is comfortable? And there's been a couple of those. Like we've had to do 
shoots of lions, a couple shoots with raccoons or rabbits or something like that. Yeah, we get some radical, radical requests. As I we can't get. get over that goat story. When you first started telling <laughs> it, I was imagining like a human in a goat mascot like <laughs> outfit, but... <laughs> the goat one was a real doozy, that's for sure. <laughs> now, do you have anything in the pipeline at uh, Lux Machina that you can tell us about? I, I mean, I'd, I'd just love to know what some of the projects are that you have coming. Abs- absolutely. One of the things that we're working on is starting to build our own stage brand, um, and that's called um, the uh, Prism. Um, and, and the Prism stages will be these um, stages that will be a sort of like a vertically integrated solution for people. So like they need creative content built, they need producing, they need the stage to shoot in. We're going to partner with groups like Trilla Stages, which is where the first one's going to be, and Atlanta, which is the largest soundstage, set of sound stages in America, or busiest sound stages in America. Um, and we're putting a stage there. So this will be a rollout for us over the next year is actually building our own stages and facilities instead of doing it just for our clients. And one of the reasons is huge demand, but also we think that we can push the boundaries farther. Um, we've got a bunch of technical and creative innovations inside these spaces that are going to allow people to make their products in totally new ways. And so it's looking to start to invest in our own ecosystem and our own infrastructure instead of just our clients. We're also working on some really fascinating software stuff that we'll be talking a little bit more about in the next couple months, but it revolves around how to manage assets and the infrastructure of the metaverse, as well as how to deal with what I'm going to call a, a more friendly production environment. Right now, a lot of environments in dealing with production can be very hostile in terms of just understanding all the different technologies and understanding all the different workflows. And it's really complex. And so we want to remove that complexity. And we've got some software that we're building that's going to help us do that. Excellent. Oh, so much on your plate this year. Yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun. Phil, this has just been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. I really enjoy getting to talk about this and, and do a little bit of a deeper dive into what we do at Lux. Thank you for listening to Innovation Uncovered. On the next and final episode of the season, I'll be talking with Mike Brown, creative director at Playground Games, a video game studio that delivers a groundbreaking new racing game, Forza Horizon 5, that recently won an award for innovation in accessibility. I think people tend to say that accessibility is becoming more and more important in recent years. That isn't actually true. Accessibility has always been important. What's actually changed is that people are becoming more aware of how important it is. Subscribe to Innovation Uncovered wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review. Thanks for listening. Season 2 of Innovation Uncovered is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents. Ordinary people who shape the future by putting their money behind the right ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you to access the innovators of the NASDAQ 100 so you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. To learn more about what this fund can mean for your portfolio, visit Invesco.com QQQ. There are risks involved with investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETFs are subject to risks similar to those of stocks. Investments focused in the technology sector are subject to greater risk and are more greatly impacted by market volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies traded on the NASDAQ. An investment cannot be made directly into an index. Before investing, carefully read and consider fund investment objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in prospectus at Invesco.com. The opinions expressed are those of the speakers, are based on current market 
market conditions and are subject to change without notice. These opinions may differ from those of other Invesco investment professionals. Invesco is not affiliated with T-Brand Studio, Kristen Meinzer, or any of the subjects or companies referenced in this episode. This content should not be construed as an endorsement for or a recommendation to invest in any of the companies referenced in this episode. Invesco Distributors, Inc.